I am green up here. Sounds like we are good to go back there as well. If you have your Bibles, turn with me in them to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. This is, should be some familiar landscape to many of us. This will be the, the briefer of the three conversations or messages today, which probably happens to everyone's pleasing. No? <laughs> All right. All right. Um, I've spoken to the Lord a couple times today on the same topic. I'm sure he's aware that I need him. Um, yeah. I was on hold. I didn't hang up that time. <laughs> so, some, someone's getting that. All right. So, um, so now I want to, uh, um, I want to uh, open this topic up. It's very familiar, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, this is an important uh, conversation or from the scriptures for me, and I hope to you as well, because I'm always interested in understanding how exactly do I do or what exactly do we do in light of these other two messages, right? What does it look like? Um, you know, and this conversation from, from of Joshua to all of Israel, as he has led them, uh, now he's the leader who has succeeded Moses, and he's led the, the children of Israel through just an incredible season of faithfulness, God um, um, mowing down their opponents and bringing them to the edge of the promised land here in, in, in Joshua 24, and now there's a renewal of covenant. And so it's God uh, through Joshua revisiting the same conversation that was had with Israel back there in uh, in Exodus. And now this is the generation that's going to officially get a chance to enter. And um, Joshua's having an important conversation because it looks as if there might be some contrasting momentum in the crowd or in the culture. And there is at least contrast, spiritual contrast in the land that they're going. And so he makes those famous words. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so I want to explore that. What does it mean to be a family of contrast? What does it mean to be a family that maintains that position of contrast? But as for us, I don't care what everyone else is doing. I don't care what the other folks in my, in my neighborhood, in my book club, the other mothers uh, or, or dads. I don't care what everybody else is doing. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I believe that that statement, while you may never say it, just like you may never say uh, views, likes and follows, I believe that that. That articulation of values happens for every single family where you have to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It might be a simple gesture like cutting the TV off like for a long time or refusing to get cable. Um, I'm not preaching anything in particular. I have cable. Um, right? but, 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 you know, but there are times, though, where we as families kind of have to drop the hammer and we say, you know what, just enough is enough. We, we got to press pause on some of the emerging cultural phenomenon that seem to be, you know, just kind of whittling away at what it means for us to be godly people. And we just need to pause for an undefined season. There's lots of times where we just kind of go, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Um, there are, and, and, and there are many different occasions where we just kind of have to make that move. And so I want to talk about that and what it looks like. And, and I also want to talk about what it means to for that phrase to live out in Christian families, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, not as an event, but also as a habit and a lifestyle. And so I hope that's what we can see here. So let's um, let's take a look at Joshua, beginning with verse one in chapter 24. Uh, and I am going to probably read, park and preach, meaning rather than reading the whole passage, I will read portions and then I'll park and, and, and preach. 
Um, so it says, then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all of the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your fathers, uh, Abraham, from the other side of the river and led him through uh, out all of the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants, gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave the mountains of Seir and to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I played Egypt according to what I had done or did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. I feel inclined to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to go back. Just some, some, some larger context. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. Uh, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers uh, with chariots and horsemen and, and to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness for a long time. And when I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of Jordan and they fought with you. But I gave you uh, but I gave them into your hands that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel. And I sent uh, and I, excuse me, I sent and called them uh, and called uh, Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over to, the, to Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you also, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hevites and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you and which drove, out, uh, the, drove them out before you. Also, two kings of the Amorites, but not, to, not with your sword or with your bow, I have given you a land which you did not labor, cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them and you eat of the vineyards and of the olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, which your father serves that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua speaking to his contemporaries, not foreigners. I believe that all of us as contemporaries at some point find ourselves having to take a stand for God that may differ from our contemporaries, in the, different people who are close to us. And we have to take a stand for the Lord. Uh, and notice how the dubious history uh, that could shape how this group of people might choose to serve the Lord. It was part of their history. 
It wasn't like um, something that was foreign to them. These were their forefathers who had served other gods and the Lord had saved and who had graciously given land to. And so there are things within our own upbringing sometimes that becomes a part of the contrasting picture against what God wants to paint, what real biblical family should look like. Follow me very carefully. Um, What I think we're going to see over the next 13 verses or 15 verses is what I would call the code. It's the code of the biblical contrasting family, the code, right? The C-O-D-E, conviction, ownership, direction, and experience. There is a code that is outlined in this particular passage, not some weird biblical code. This is just me trying to make stuff easy to remember, just like value, identity, and purpose, right? All right, so don't tell anybody that Rod believes in biblical coding or something, right? That's not what I mean. It's just a, a great way to remember something, the code. But when I talk about code, I want you to consider what it is. For folks that are in the family, the code is not a secret. It's a sequence. Um, On the exterior of our home, one of the garage doors has a little panel. And it's just a keypad that's just enumerated, you know, one through nine, hashtag, uh, you know, star and and an inner button. Now, if you know the code, you can get into our home because you just put the code in and the garage door goes up without you having a remote. If you don't know the code, how you get in is somewhat of a secret. So it is designed to be not a secret for those that belong in our home. It is designed to be a sequence. We know how to get there. We know how to get in. And so what I'm sharing with you is not some kind of deep, dark, spooky secret that the Lord doesn't want anybody else to know. But it is a sequence of behaviors that allow the Christian family to kind of access a place of favor with God that we should be clear to follow. Take a look at this. Here's the code. In verses one through five, Joshua brings the tribes together and they position themselves before God. And then the conversation ensues with a walk through their own personal history. And in this history, they are called to remember as far back as, you know, God chooses or God through Joshua chooses to remember them. uh, Go all the way back to to Terah and say, listen. Even in the days, even in these days, your forefathers, your father's fathers dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. But then the Lord says, but I moved on their hearts, and then I began not to move on their hearts, but I began to move where they live. And, I, and through them, I brought you. I brought you. So in other words, as much as you might celebrate your dad and your dad's dad and just your family history and culture, I want you to understand that minus me, that was a dubious culture, regardless of how great and celebrated they might have been. When they when they migrated to where they are now, yes, they were they were awesome. But what made them awesome was their response to me, not necessarily what they intrinsically brought to the table. What I want you to understand and what I want you to see here is that God wants it to be routine that we see the mystery of God in our own family history, the mystery of God in our own family history. Let me explain. Now this might sound kind of tender for some people. Uh, uh, peculiar to even you. Um, but I look at, um, I, I think back as a kid and I go, man, how did I get exposed to the gospel? One, as you heard in the first message, had a grandmother who was pretty <laughs> robust, right, in the faith, but also had a father who prayed diligently. And I saw those examples. But then I began to say, well, how did my parents get saved? How did grandma get saved? And I began to work my way backwards. And I was like, you know what? Wow. I was like, you, I wonder if. Sans the event of slavery, 
if my ancestors would have gotten exposed to Christianity. And this is not an endorsement of the event, because it was wicked indeed, but the testimony of God being able to work through the wicked veneer of slavery to cause the gospel to reach into my generation. I was like, God, you're pretty powerful. And I look at the dubious history of an Abraham, an Isaac, and a Jacob, whose parents, they didn't just wake up nice to God. Their grandparents were evil people. And they served idol gods. They were, they were on the hit list of God. The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every single day. That's quite a, that's a, quite a chip on quite a set of shoulders. Right? So, so what I'm getting at is being able to appreciate the unique way in which God navigates into our family histories. And it shows the excellence of God and not so much the excellence of our forefathers. We ought to regularly within our families, be tracking the history and the mystery of God's work in our family history, the mystery of God's work in our family history. And we ought to regularly socialize it and talk about it to raise the family's appreciation for the work of God amid a myriad of circumstances. Maybe for some of you, it wasn't the slavery motif. Maybe it was some other type of uh, uh, reality that was at work that for all practical purposes, if it wasn't for God bringing the initial, but I'm going to reach into that family and save some folks. You see that? How the, the Christian family predicates their existence on, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because the very God that they seek to serve did the same thing. He reaches in. This should have been your family history, but I decided to intercede. We cannot take the circumstances of our acquaintance with the Christ and our coming to the Christ for granted just because as far back as we can look, we just remember Christians. We have to regularly refresh that. So perhaps you can't do any uh, and, and, and maybe maybe you are a part of an incredibly long line of people who have served the Lord and you can't find the unsaved folk in your lineage. But you can see the mystery of God's work. Because notice, it wasn't just their conversion that was captured in this first uh, experience, but it was also seeing the, the history of God and how he moved through both Terahs, the Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Jacobs. But then also, do we know how, again, the Christ, the church, and the gospel landed in our laps? Does that make sense? Let me, let me go to another way. Uh, in our home, one of the, and I, I may have shared this, well, I've never shared it with this group because I've never been here before. But one of the things that we regularly like to do, and you can ask my daughter if this is true, is that there's a game slash exercise called, did you see the Lord today? And sometimes they'd be like, oh, here we go. Cause, and I always have to go last because mine's going to be the longest. Right? Just like this. You, trust me. If you live with us, man, you'd be like, oh, boy. Talk about not getting lunch. Um, so, but at least we do it at the table. So you can eat and we, we play the game or, or have the exercise. But but the reason I do it is not because I want to be cheesy or religious or whatever the case may be, uh, but, but because I want to regularly reacquaint my children with the active work of God in our family's history. And they're getting to the point now is like, we know, we know you lost this money one time and then the Lord calls you to get this other job because of it. And because of that job, we were able to buy this house and then move to blah. We know. Right. But I'm always reciting the history of God's work in my life. We know that one time your friend tried to push you into a deep hole and then you couldn't swim, but you still got over it and you knew it was just God. We know. Oh, good. But I'm just regularly reciting how the Lord worked in our lives. And then I'm like, hey, Carrie, it's my wife's name. I was like, why don't you tell him? Like, tell him some stories from your childhood of how you saw God work. 
I want my family to be regularly bathed in the mystery of God's work in our own family's personal history. Like, it just has to be. I mean, I, I just, I just, it's the power. So, so one of the things that I appreciate about the ancient Near Eastern family is how, like, multiple generations lived and traveled and stayed together. And so today, while we don't have that, um, that reality, we have to somehow replicate the strength of that. How do you replicate that, that, that being able to get years and years and years of personal history, understanding that, 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 that Jacob would have had access to, to, to direct conversations of what was happening in Tira's life? That, 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 I mean, I, I, I didn't do the, uh, I wish I had done the math on this, but we, there is a, there is a family within the Bible well, at least with access to the great grandparents, somebody who we would consider not to be a Bible contemporary, but like as far out as 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 Abraham would have been able to have access to someone who may have been two generations removed from the garden. Being able to talk candidly about what it's like to walk with the Lord. Now, that may not be a part of our sequence, but being able to bring that history home into a contemporary audience is key. And that's all I'm talking about. That's what I see happening in verses one through five is refreshing them on how they landed to be God's people. How did we get in the crosshairs of God and become to be his people? It isn't just because we just woke up and that was the closest church to our house. That's one. I believe that when we talk about the code here's I'll I'll further unpack that stands for conviction, ownership, direction and experience. I believe that Christian families have a responsibility, one, when it comes to conviction to regularly raise awareness to see what God is doing in our time. Regularly raising awareness of what God is doing in our time. That's exactly what's happening right here with Joshua. They are raising awareness that this is what God is doing right now, and this is what he has done in the past. Number two, ownership. Translating what God is doing. So not just letting it out there and saying, here's what God did in our history, but here's what it means to us as a family. Direction. Here's how we are going to respond to that. Experience. How are we going to continue to rely on that? If I could bring you into a, 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 a just kind of a, a one of the realities, um, I recently uh, changed jobs, same company, changed jobs, but the family watched me pray through trusting God for a job that I knew I was the underdog for, and just every painstaking detail. And saying, I am simply, I am trusting God. If, if I am trusting God because he is the Lord of the unlikely. It is unlikely that I would get this job except God intervened. But guess what? The, the, the gospel declares him as the God over the unlikely. It is so unlikely that a holy God would want to engage with an unholy people. It's unlikely. And, and, degree, and when something is unlikely or impossible, the degree of impossibility is irrelevant. Right? It's still impossible. And so... Walking your families through what God is doing in your life actively while it is happening, not just when the cake is baked and the story is finished and you got something glowing, because I think families need to hear and feel when each other even feel as if their prayers aren't being heard. How do you work through that? Because without it, children are deployed into the world under the impression that, man, God didn't answer that prayer. I'm not anything like my parents. Apparently, prayer doesn't either work for me or it doesn't work anymore. Or I don't know how to pray like they do. Oh, well, let me try something else. They need to even see the failures. And to see how God sweeps up the glass. And so 
We need to see the mystery of God working in our personal history, how he moved and how he multiplied Israel. This is key. The second thing in verses six through ten is being able to understand how God not only moved in history, but seeing the hand of God and how it works in our own houses. Verses six through ten begins to narrow the focus very closely and moves away from just the abstracts of how they were brought from over the river to showing what God did once they were on the other side and he was removing them from Israel, how he kept them and how he protected them. Regardless of how boring it becomes to you or anyone else, we need to have regular conversations about the things that God is doing and has done. It just needs to be a part of the regular family dialogue. The regular testimony has power. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus Christ says uh, those that will overcome will do so by the by their testimony. So Jesus values it and says that it has intrinsic power. So testimonials aren't just these unique times when someone fell out of a helicopter and didn't break their neck. And then we put them up here to talk about it. No, there should be small, incremental, ongoing conversations about the Christ and about the Lord and how he is moving in our household and how he has moved in our history and what that means to us and how it has shaped our families. We need that. When we look at verses uh, 11 through 13, it also shows, if you look here, it talks about how the, the grace of God, we move from the grace of God to graduating in God. You look at verses 11 through 13, this is a powerful statement. It says, then when you went over, verse 11, sorry, um, when you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the, and the Jebusites, but I delivered them into your hand. Now, what's interesting about this is when the Bible chooses to use a list, let me ask you, why do you use a list? Because God doesn't have bad memory. Why do we use a list? What's that, say it again? Because we, we can forget. List. Lists help us to see. It's like, man, I mean, I, 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 watch, I watch my wife when she makes a grocery list. And I look at the length of the list and I'm like, man, we need a lot of stuff. The length of the list tells me either how much we've been eating or when was the last time you went to the store. But lists have value. Not only the length of the list, but then the look of the list. Like, what's on there? These aren't just like a couple of words. These are like full phrases. Like, like, like lists, the way a list look, the length of a list, all of it gives scope and it, and it gives, it, it gives context to exactly what is happening. And so I look at these lists in the Bible and God wants them to be very clear as to exactly which enemies they encountered, what cultures they were from, how big they were, and how he overcame them on their behalf. Because each one of these enemies represented a specific type of obstacle. One of my very weird behaviors, and you do not have to do this, but I'm just going to share it with you because I, I, it may help you to see how I'm trying my best to practice this, is that I, as I'm praying about something in my family, I typically will go to my computer and start to create a little PowerPoint. And I'll have like a theme verse that I'm really depending on that captures why this is, you know, that, okay, Lord, I need you in this way. Now, if he wants to redirect the conversation, that's fine. But I was like, I'm depending on you in this way. And I literally will go through and just document every change and every challenge and every nuance that happens. Oh, dear God. I mean, it's like a diary, but for, you know, I don't know, nerds and computers, people. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but people who like PowerPoint. But it's like a diary. And it's a, and it just every just I'm just going in. It's like, Lord, this is how I saw you today. And the point of doing that is I want a list. 
I've got this one, and I'm going to tell you, it blesses my heart. Not because I'm good, but it blesses my heart. 30-some-odd slides dating from the first time someone approached me about another job, planting a church, and then also this uh, something else that I was praying to the Lord about, and began to look at what the Lord did, I mean, 30-some-odd episodes. And I'm like, man, like, I'd rather read this than, than look on Netflix. But it's to see the Lord. And it's not me. It's looking at the Lord work. And so to sit down and say, Lord, I'm going to commit this to paper. It's just the spiritual discipline of journaling, whether you have PowerPoint or not. If you just write down, write down what God is doing in your life. And don't wait for the big boom, you know, volcanic events. But documents like, Lord, I'm interested. You know, I want to see you every single day. And I, I want to see you in whatever way you want to show yourself. And so doing so, it encourages our heart to see the history of how God is working. Have you ever read the Bible, young or old, or at any point in your Christianity? I know I would read the Bible and say, God, do you still work like that? Are you still, like, restoring, like, hands? Are you still doing, like, super powerful stuff? And I would question, because of the distance, because, again, contemporarily, the distance between the times in which I live and the times of the Bible, I was like, well, God, you just didn't seem like you're doing that stuff anymore. And then I start to, to, to document God's own work in my life, not trying to create my own Bible, but, but, but looking at the history of what God had done, because this was Israel's history. It wasn't just spiritual documentation. It was their history. And they were instructed to regularly read this into the ears of their kids so that when they would pass by certain milestones and markers in the lands that the Lord had brought them to, they could see that and tell the story. There should be constant stories in our families of God's glory, what he did and how we got here. And I guarantee you, every one of you looking back at me, there are incredible stories. It's just that we're just glossing over them sometimes and we're just passing them by or we're just waiting for the big one. But there are constant and incredible stories out there of how God is working in our lives and it shapes up this whole idea. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it will also strengthen our resolve in being able to say that. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hey, we've been here before. We've been here before. We've been at a place where both our house note and our car note were in conflict with our desire to give at the local church. We've been there before. I will, can I, may, I, may I close with, with kind of a story? Um, I'll never forget. Um, we were, um, gosh, where were we? We were living in Detroit at the time. And I don't know how our finances got filed up. I guess I was, I don't, maybe I had a, a, a secret account in Wisconsin, you know, if you were here for the first message. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I'm, I'm working and uh, um, I wanted to give, or I was trying to be a disciplined giver at our local church. And I had written a check to the church on a given Sunday and the trustee comes out of the back and wants to talk to me. You know, one of these numbers. And I was like, hey, what's up? It's like this, um, um, we can't accept this. I was like, what are you talking about? Like it didn't go through. I bounced a check on the Lord. <laughs> and I was so moved because I was I just grew up with an incredible amount of discipline just from my from my dad. My dad was a, just a humongous giver. He wasn't trying to buy blessings. He just believed in being disciplined and giving and generosity. And so was my grandmother. Right. <laughs> right. Just huge. I mean, just we as a family were very disciplined around giving. And so I was like, Lord, I'll never do this to you again. And so I started giving offerings in cash, right? So, um, and I remember on Given Sunday, 
um, I'm sitting there and they're getting ready to and, I, and they were getting ready to, to do the offering and the church wasn't far from the from the bank. And I was like, oh, no, I forgot to take out cash. I'm here to check again. I'm not doing it. So I go to the ATM and I'm getting ready to uh, make a withdrawal. And I remember, well, I kind of look at the balance and I go, oh, this is also house note week. And I was like, if I give that, that's and house. The house note is on automatic withdrawal. I was like, ooh, that's going to be ugly. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, you know, beep, do you need more time? You know, that's the thing on the screen. And I was like, you know what, Lord, I'm going broke. You know, I was like, not only am I going to, I'm going to withdraw what I believe that I should give you, uh, but I'm just going to, I was like, if it's going to bounce and they're going to charge me $25, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to empty the account, but I'm just going to, boom, just put in a little bit more, right? So I get out this extra money. And I'm feeling like super foolish, but I'm like, yeah. I'm doing it. You know what I mean? And so anyway, I put the cash in the envelope and I go and I give it and uh, um, I put the money in church. And I'm just sitting there. I was like, all right, Lord, it's you. You know, you got to do this. And so I'm waiting for the and I didn't tell my wife. I'm such a bad husband. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm like, Lord, I was like, I'm trying my best to honor you and, and to never dishonor you in the way that I give. And I was like, I was like, any day now, I'm going to get some kind of notice or like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this house note. And I was like, wait a minute, nothing's coming. So, you know, some time passed. I go and I look in the bank and boom, our bonus from work comes through unannounced and off schedule, incredibly off schedule. And I was like, oh, my Lord, are you kidding me? You did that? And it was like he and I's inside secret. And I was like, it's not like I was like, it's not like I'm going to always like try to jam up my house note. So I'm not setting, this is not an, this is not a to do, right? Don't go out and just every week withdraw more than what you're supposed to. But I said, Lord, I was like, you made it very clear that if I would sacrifice like that, if I'd be willing that you'd always be my supply. And I have never once questioned whether or not I should give generously. Now, what's interesting is that every time I get a big bonus from work and I know that it's coming, Something always wants me to revisit my theology of giving. And I know that it's not the Lord. And I always do what? I recall that story and I replay it to my kids and I share it to my wife because what it does is not only does it does it does it shape for them a theology of generosity, but it also emboldens me where I can say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if serving the Lord in this way is what it means, then that's the way that we'll do it. But, but just small moments like that are stuck in my memory. They are written down. They are not replacements for the Bible, but they are ways in which I have seen God victoriously come through one among many ways. And I know this is simple and it sounds it might sound silly to an outsider. And that's kind of how relationships are. Right. Well, let's just be honest. If uh, if uh, you remember when you first begin to, I don't know, maybe demonstrate a little bit of affection for someone of the opposite sex and and someone says to you, well, do they like you back? What if he's like, yeah, I was like, well, why do you know that? Well, because they did this, this and this. It's like anybody can do that. Outsiders to a relationship always think the things that you're talking about are silly. But the insiders always think that they are the most significant ever. And, so, and I, there are aspects of our relationship with the Lord that are like that. But we have to be diligent to share them regardless of how silly they might sound to the outsider, particularly those who are not believers. They'll think that right there was just the most nonsensical act of uh, uh, financial undisciplinedness ever, <laughs> right? But I noted it was the Lord through my incompetence or lack of whatever, scheduling my stuff right, saying that he would take care of me. I share all this to simply say that we should see 
the mystery of the Lord in our own history, that we should see the hand of the Lord working in our own house, and we should learn how to see the favor of God framing our future. When Israel came through these various lands, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Girgashites, and the Hivites, the Jebusites, he says, but I delivered them into your hand. I think it is critical for us to reevaluate all of our successes and to make sure that we see them as an outworking, not only of our effort, but the efforts of God on our behalf. All successes, regardless of how smart we are, all successes are couched in the grace of God. I will never forget the time that I, I put to work a Harvard graduate from, I can't remember what, what country, in a VHS packaging facility, making six bucks an hour. Had all of the credentials that would work for something else. I, could, I would never forget that. I'll, I'll never forget the number of doctors whose credentials were not respected from the country that they came from to come here and were working general labor jobs. I'll never forget just the infinite number of people that I've seen where we would think, according to the American calendar of accomplishment, that these people should be doing better. I will never forget the number of people that I've seen who used to own their own businesses, and we were doing, we had a men's ministry, and they would tell me their stories over some hot wings about how they had lost everything due to drugs. But they were at the top of the world at one point. Their successes could not secure them. It is only by the grace of God. I'll never forget. And so, and what the Lord does, uh, the book of Deuteronomy is, again, is all about that. And the book of Joshua here is how do we constantly remind ourselves so that we never forget that it is the Lord who is doing the work. We are, we, our, our hands are on the plow, but it is him that is doing the work and that is creating the success. He says in verse 12, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, and also two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword, sword or with your bow. For I have given you a land for which you did not labor, cities that you did not build, and you dwell in them, and you eat of the vineyards and of the olives and the groves which you did not plant. The Lord's grace is a regular, needs to be a regular conversation in how he frames our favor. When we look at his conversation of the Euphrates, he, he wants us to reflect on where he took us from, the Red Sea where he brought us to, and the Jordan is what we went through to get there. These components, these, your Euphrates and your Red Sea and your Jordan need to be regular conversations as we're shaping both for our own testimony and also for those of the young folks that will sit around our table. Final illustration, I promise. Where are we? Oh, okay, cool. Um, I promise. Ooh, now my integrity is on the line. Um, I remember when my parents were um, building a house from scratch. And I would go over there, and it would just look like a hole in the ground to me, just muddy uh, layers of cement and lumber. And uh, it would take them to go over there. If I went by myself, I was like, this is just a mess. I was like, oh, I think that's a driveway, but the rest of this is just mess. But because they knew what they were building, they could walk me through, and even without structure, say, this is the guest bedroom. This is going to be the kitchen. This is the, you know, the, the basement. This is the, the that. They were able to walk me through this unfinished structure. And I believe that for us as parents, that's her job, is to be able to take people on a tour of something that is unfinished and be able to point out, because over time, it begins to come into view. 
And as it comes into view, and it's like, oh, this is what you were saying the whole time. It increases parental credibility. And so don't, not only parental credibility, but it also increases the heart of the family to trust the vision that we're painting for our, for our, for our young ones. Uh, and for us as families, it also increases our sense of conviction to regularly re-explain, regardless of whether you're blue in the face or whether you think you've said this a million times, don't forsake the idea of challenging and showing your family what God is building for you and what he's building around you, building for your future, why he's doing it. It seems like they're not listening, but trust me, seeds are being deposited and they will grow. And they'll grow and increase appreciation for God's work. You'll never know. I, uh, ooh, I was about to show another illustration, but I better save it for tomorrow because I promised that I would finish <laughs> with that one. Um, but, uh, amen. So I'm looking forward to spending some more time uh, with us uh, at lunch as well as um, tomorrow morning. So any additional layers to that that I need to build, I will share it then. But uh, it's been a great time uh, these last three messages. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you for our time of fellowship around your word and what you would do through family and a unique role that we play in society. Continue to build capacity in our understanding of what pivotal role we play, Lord God, in, in what you're doing and help us to live up to it. We also, Lord God, pray your blessing on uh, the meal and uh, just all the things that have been prepared here and just on all of these families, oh God, and just uh, giving up their Saturdays and a poor, small portion of their Friday, and Lord God, just uh, yielding that to you, I pray, oh God, that you would meet them in their place of sacrifice, and that you would bless us, and uh, just bless, continue to bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.